0: Welcome. This is So Much More Than Gender. Hi, this is your host, Aaron Swenson, and this is the second episode of So Much More Than Gender. Welcome back. I hope you find this uh, uh, interesting, uh, as you hopefully did the first one. Um, I'm, a, I'm apologizing a little bit for its tardiness, because I, uh, when I went to read the... Uh, When I went to listen to the second one that I had already made, I didn't like it and decided that I was going to go back and tell my story a little bit more before we start doing interviews with other people. Uh, So welcome and here we go. As you will recall, the beginning of my story was about, well, it was about the beginning of my story. There was that bathroom in that empty house where I made breasts with toilet paper and gazed at myself in the mirror in awe. The growing awareness that I wanted to be a girl was disturbing to me, and it occupied increasing amounts of my waking hours. The message of grace from our community church was a comfort. I didn't know it at the time, but I was also blessed with good fortune in the man who was my father. My male classmates in the sixth grade were beginning to enter the realm of athletics that was almost a requirement for southern adolescent boys. No surprise that my meager attempts to join them were met with mediocrity. I really wasn't interested, and while the other boys, encouraged by their fathers, learned the arts of blocking and tackling, my dad encouraged me as a musician. I studied cello, piano, and voice from the age of nine until I left high school. I learned to love music. One day in the sixth grade, I arrived home from school and Dad was already home, a highly unusual event. I stood in the kitchen, school books still under my arm as Dad rose from the kitchen table and said, we're going to take a little ride. It was just my dad and me. When we were safely on our way in the family's 57 Ford station wagon, he broke the silence. We're going to an audition for the Atlanta boy choir, he said. What's that? I replied, both curious and a little scared. It's a choir, like at church, only it's all boys your age i was even more curious oh boys yes dad said i want you to audition and then after that it's up to you whether or not you want to go ahead and do it but the only thing i really want you to do is audition what's an audition i asked it sounded pretty scary Mr. Wolfe is the director, and he'll just want you to sing a little for him, that's all. He said that as though it wouldn't be any problem. An audition sounded pretty important to me, and I was appropriately intimidated. By this time, it was clear that we were not headed to our church, but to downtown Atlanta. That made it seem even scarier. Forty-five minutes later, we pulled into the parking lot of a very large church. Much bigger than our little church in Sandy Springs. It was called Peachtree Christian Church. Where we were headed, though, was not the majestic old building, but to a rustic cabin off the parking lot in the rear of the church. As soon as I got out of the car, I could hear it. It was like a beautiful sound, like I would imagine a choir of angels singing. If this was where Dad intended me to go, I was sure that I would not belong. We entered the old building. The smell of the old wood and dust sat in the air like an invisible cloud. The boys were sitting in two rows at the front of the large room, facing an upright piano. Standing in front was an almost royal-looking man with curly hair. His voice boomed and rang at the same time when he talked. The boys followed his lead with almost mechanical precision. Twenty minutes later, The rehearsal was done, and the boys rushed across the room to the waiting parents who had gathered there. My tummy hurt, and I was now in a full-blown panic mode. The director came across the room and introduced himself to my dad as Mr. Wolf. I hope he isn't really a wolf, I whispered under my breath. "'So this must be your son, Eric,' the man looked at me, smiling. "'Are you ready?' he asked. "'Okay,' I lied. "'Come with me,' and we walked toward the upright piano on the other side of the room. "'Mr. Wolf sat on the bench and said, "'I'm going to play some notes, and I want you to see if you can sing them back to me. "'Do it on an ah!' Okay, I lied once more. Mr. Wolf played three notes, and I sang them back. That was easy. Then there were more notes with different rhythms. I sang up and down the piano keyboard, feeling more and more at ease. He then asked me to sing a hymn from an old hymnal that was on top of the piano. I think it was, "'Oh, God, our help in ages past. "'Oh, God, did I ever need help.' "'That's enough,' Mr. Wolf declared. "'By the time it was over, "'I had stopped being scared of singing "'and started being scared "'that I would not pass whatever test this was.' "'We walked back across the room toward Dad, My heart was pounding in my chest, and the butterflies had returned to my tummy. Eric did fine. He'll be a second soprano, came the verdict. I didn't care what I was going to be, just as long as I could be part of this choir. And then Mr. Wolfe went on to say, It's very, very important that you know that all rehearsals are mandatory. I didn't know what that word meant, but it was clear. You will need to be here every Tuesday afternoon from 4 to 5.30 and every Saturday morning from 10 to 12. Of course, performances are required, and there will be extra rehearsals before performing. And the next performance will be on Thanksgiving Day, which was going to be just a few weeks from then. Dad looked at me and asked me the big question. So, do you think you want to do this? Oh, yes, I shouted, and that was the beginning of my two years with the Atlanta boy choir. Looking back the 60-some years since, I realized that it was one of the pivotal moments of my life. I felt no loss about not playing baseball or football on Saturdays. With Mr. Wolf, I learned discipline, along with passion, teamwork, commitment, all the things that most boys learned in sports, I got from music. After my two years with the choir, I became a peer counselor for choir trips, and when I reached adulthood, I would sing with what later became the Fletcher Wolf Chorale. With this came precious experiences like singing in the Palacio de Bellas Artes in Mexico City and the Musikverein in Vienna. I don't know what would have happened had my dad been like most others the dads my friends at school had. I will never know if I could have learned to block and tackle like them, or bat 250. What I do know is that I'm deeply thankful for a father whose temperament, masculine enough, was also friendly with the arts and who wanted to pass that along to his children. And choral singing was not the only activity. There was the cello, passionate venue of string and finger, and also the piano. By the time I reached the end of high school, my family was thinking that I would make a career of music. But after heart-wrenching thought, I decided that I loved music too much to make it work. I watch the professional musicians in my life today, and I often do wonder if I made the right decision. But no, I was off to engineering school. This is going to be the most painful part of the story for me to tell because it's the story of a lifetime of shame the story of my struggle with an atypical gender identity, and ironically, this painful part of the story must intertwine with one of the best parts of my existence on this planet, my relationship with Sigrid, the love of my life. I think of that moment in the bathroom so long ago as my first coming out to myself. The desire to be a girl that lived in my heart was a kind of self-knowledge, but it was one I did not want. Internal conflict became a way of life, and the shame that came with it was like a fog that distorted and hid much of reality. Adolescence is difficult for most of us, but for me, it was especially difficult. I was unlucky enough to be a bit precocious. And as a 12-year-old, I was shaving almost every day. Uh, When I was 13, I got an electric razor for Christmas, a really nice one, but I hated it. But I still used it every day. My male sexuality was a difficult subject in our household. Making my bed, for instance... And changing the linens was a job I had, it seemed like forever, probably just about when I was big enough to reach the sheets at the top of the bed. I hated changing my sheets and did it under extreme duress, which was probably about once a month. I remember when I was 13 and started having wet dreams. They made an icky mess of the sheets. And I started changing my linens often in the middle of the night, several times a week. I was sure that my mother would be saying something about the crispy linens that I was adding to the basket. And then, on a now frequent basis, certainly not once a month, but not one word or gesture was made about this significant development. The silence only added depth and power to my personal sense of shame. And the part about my wet dreams that most disturbed me was that they were almost always about changing sex. I would tell you about them, but I don't want to. I actually do have boundaries. (laughs) So you might guess that the subject of girls was a sore one. As a high school boy, I was expected to be at least a little girl crazy, but I wasn't. Nor was I boy crazy, though that might have made some more sense. I was just confused. It was like the night I had a rare date for a school dance with a girl named Diane. She was very pretty, and I felt some pride that she was willing to be seen with me. The only part of the date I remember, however, was when I returned her home, and we stood for a solid hour on her front porch. It was only in retrospect that I realized that she was waiting for me to kiss her. The idea never crossed my mind. What was on my mind, however, was how much I wanted to be Diane. After my second year at Georgia Tech, I realized that I did not want to be an engineer. I transferred to Georgia State College, quit my summer job as a civil engineer, and headed off to church camp to spend the summer as a camp counselor and try to find myself. What I found was Seagrid and the second major pivotal event in my life. It was during the first week of the summer when the counseling staff was being trained without any campers around. The training concentrated on camping skills and on small group dynamics. The philosophy of Neil, the director, followed the small group camping model, where campers and counselors formed small groups with both boys and girls, a female and a male counselor. Each group was amazingly like a family. The purpose was to teach camping along with developmental skills and community building. It worked great and I loved it. When this training started for the counselors, Sigrid's absence was noted and explained as she was graduating from Agnes Scott College. Sigrid had been a summer counselor for several years and was clearly most popular among the staff. I wondered what she was like. I found out, in midweek, when we were having a supper in the woods. It was dusk, and the light was softening with a reddish glow that added an air of mystery. Out of the growing darkness of the woods came Sigrid, seeming like a Native American princess. Her beauty seemed almost logical, as the flames of the campfire flickered across her face a cheer went up from the gathered crowd she was welcomed as clearly as one of their own me <laughs> i was in awe i did my i did my best to keep my feelings hidden though secret just finished college and I was at least two years away from that milestone, and besides, she was just about engaged to someone who also had just graduated from Georgia Tech. Nevertheless, I was drawn to her in a new way, one I never before experienced. Imagine my surprise when Sigrid and I were chosen to be the co-counselors for a three-week Wilderness camp, there would be nine high school girls and boys. Sigrid and I had five days before the camp started in order to prepare. And one day we were walking through the woods to the meadow where there were four teepees, our home for the summer. As Sigrid and I walked side by side, She reached over and took my hand. I will never forget that moment (laughs) because it was the moment I fell in love. We were married before Christmas as the world continued to spin. Vietnam was hitting its peak with the Tet Offensive. The New Deal came to an end when Richard Nixon beat Hubert Humphrey for the presidency. And Richard Nixon was was just, just going fast toward, toward Watergate and all of the stuff that was going on in Washington. Closer to home, though, Seagrid got a banking job while I continued to attend Georgia State College, which is now, by the way, Georgia State University, and to work full-time at Rich's. Atlanta's foremost department store. Life was great, except, except my naive notion that falling in love would cure my gender issue proved wrong when I found myself at home alone again. Only this time, I was dressed in my wife's clothes. I was devastated. Not only was I not cured, but now I had intertwined my life with a person who I loved and respected more than I thought even possible. I could not tell her. I was sure that it would cause the immediate end to our relationship. And that would kill me. So I kept it a secret. It was so very, very selfish. And along with the decision came an immediate descent into a severe depression. Sigrid noticed it immediately. What's wrong? Is it me? she asked. I couldn't look her in the eye but stared at the old hardwood floor of our second-story walk-up. "'No,' I shouted, crying. "'It's not you. "'Please know that it's not about you or about us.' "'I think it's me,' I replied, trying to sound reassuring. "'Well, if you can't talk with me about it, "'don't you think it would be a good idea to talk with someone?' Maybe a counselor? I made a heavy sigh of frustration. I don't think a counselor will help. This was a bald-faced lie. I was just afraid of anyone else, even a counselor, knowing my terrible secret. I'll work it out myself. Don't worry, I said in my best resolute voice. It wasn't long before I figured it out. If I worked and studied all day long and into the night, there wasn't time to be depressed or to cross-dress or anything like that. In the following years, I completed my B.S., then went on to seminary, graduating with a master's degree, and got ordained as a Presbyterian minister. I did a year-long clinical internship, then completed another master's in counseling. While I was doing the second master's, I worked full-time as a chaplain at at a residential institution for people with severe physical and intellectual disabilities. I then opened a private counseling practice. All this while I knew that my gender secret festered in my soul. Depression became chronic and a way of life for both of us. Secret wasn't depressed, but my depression cast a pall over our whole home. And then the next two decades they were a roller coaster that would take Secret and I to the mountaintop and then test our marriage in almost cruel ways. Stay tuned. So much more than gender is about the actual lives of people who are transgender and gender non-conforming. The point is to present the real lives of the TGNC community. Some of us are exceptional in one way or another, most of us are ordinary in most ways all of us are human in every way so the series presents both my story and the stories of many others in the TGNC community thanks for listening if you would like to communicate with us our email address is so much more at aaronswensoncom that is so much more no spaces no periods at E R I N S W E N S O N dot com. Thank you for now.